It seemed fitting, too, given how we're focused on baptism this morning, that I pause my series that I'm on, Unburdened, and deal with baptism, to talk about baptism, and a few aspects of it that perhaps some of us have not considered in the past. The passage I want to start with is in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Peter is preaching, and this is on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the disciples. They have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter had to think back to John the Baptist, who would baptize in water, but he said, I'm preparing the way for a greater one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so now, now the people who follow Christ have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And everyone gathers around. They don't understand what's happening here. So Peter stands up and preaches. They said, well, what should we do? And here's what he says in Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be Baptist. I mean, be baptized. That's such an old preacher joke. Lindsay, where's Lindsay? Have you used that one before? It's a new one to you? Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Repent and be baptized, says Peter. The, The basic idea here is declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's why they need to repent. They need to turn from their sins and be baptized because baptism is a public proclamation that you belong to Christ. In fact, when it says to be baptized in the name of Jesus, that language in the ancient world meant to to come under the authority of someone. So to be baptized in the name of Jesus is to come under the authority of Jesus, to declare your allegiance to Jesus. It implies that you have faith in Jesus. So they want to know, in light of what God has done on the day of Pentecost, what should we do? And he says, you need to declare your allegiance. You need to repent of your sins and be baptized under the authority of Jesus Christ. You need to follow him. And what you will receive, you will receive forgiveness of all your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So not only are your mistakes wiped clean, but your old life is put in the past. You receive a new life as the Spirit fills your being. As Jesus put it, you are born again. And this is a promise, he says, for everyone. It's a promise. It's also a kind of obligation. It's a command. You notice he says, repent and be baptized. Who? Every one of you. It's the New Testament norm that every Christian will be baptized. And so Peter says to them, you are to be baptized. So why do we baptize? Well, here we have a command, right? This Peter's telling us so. 
But why do we practice baptism in this church? Well, in the first place, it's not what Peter says, it's what Jesus said. So when he gives the Great Commission, he says that we are to make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you or commanded you. So you are to be baptized, says Jesus. That's his command. Now he says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know what? Christians have fought over the fact that in some parts of the New Testament, it says be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Jesus says you have to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they suppose that those are really conflicting commands. And churches have literally split over that language and and those supposed contradictions. But in fact, if you're baptized and brought under the authority of the triune God, it's the same thing as being brought under the authority of the Son of God who was sent by the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Same thing. So Jesus commands it. But Jesus also practices it. We get baptized because he commands it, but he also himself was baptized. Remember when John was going about baptizing, Jesus came to John and and presented himself to be baptized, and John said, what are you doing? I need to be baptized by you, not you baptized by me. And Jesus said, allow it to be so for now, for in this way we fulfill all righteousness. What he meant by that is that Jesus had come to stand in the place of sinners. John was calling on sinners to repent and be baptized. Jesus aligns himself with John and stands in the place of sinners and is himself baptized. He does essentially the same thing, only only in a, a greater sense, when he dies on the cross. He hangs on the cross in the place of sinners. So this is all about Jesus identifying with us. But then we're the followers of Jesus. He commands us to be baptized. So we are baptized that we might identify with him and we might follow him. So that's why we baptize. Now, some people wonder, do I have to be baptized to be saved? And in the New Testament, Often, baptism and salvation are discussed in the same passage in such a way that they're closely connected. This is only natural because the minute someone believed, they'd say, okay, time to get baptized. They'd baptize them right away in the first century. Uh, The Bible nowhere says that should be the practice, but that's how they practiced it in the beginning. And so they would often speak of baptism and faith as being so closely connected that there are some places where it almost sounds as if you're saved by baptism. I mean, in fact, in 1 Peter 3, Peter talks about the baptism that now saves you. That's his language. And some people say, well, it must be. You have to be baptized to be saved. But, But what he says is not the cleansing of your body of dirt, but the pledge of a clear conscience to God In other words, you put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven, your conscience is cleansed, and now you make the pledge that a clear conscience makes in baptism before God. But they're closely connected. 
Later on, the church tended to separate belief and baptism by time. And, and we do the same thing today, and there's a very simple reason for that. You want to make sure that someone who puts their faith in Christ understands what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. And so it seemed wise then, and I think it's wise now, to make sure that someone understands who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and what faith means. But even though there are some passages in the New Testament where baptism and and salvation are closely related. If you read the whole New Testament, it's quite clear, quite evident that no, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But even as I say it, it makes me uncomfortable because this is, after all, something that every person who puts their faith in Christ is called to do, to be baptized. So I don't really want to be defending the idea that you don't have to be as if baptism is just an extra, just an optional extra. Here's the way I like to think about it. You have a wedding and you have a marriage, and they go together, right? It's only appropriate that they go together. Can you be married without a wedding? Well, you certainly can. In fact, you can be married without a marriage license. Did you know that? In the state of Texas, you can be married by common law. You can agree with someone that you will live together as husband and wife. You move in together and you present yourself to the community as husband and wife. And in the state of Texas, you are regarded by common law that you're husband and wife. Now, in a lot of states, you can do that, but you have to do it for a certain period of time. In Texas, no, you don't. There's no specified time. That's a common law marriage. Is that a real marriage? Well, I would think, I would think if entered into with the right intent and the right commitment, it certainly is acceptable before the state of Texas. And I have to tell you, there are a couple of places in the Bible where something very similar to that goes on. Think about Think about um, Isaac and Rebecca. She comes and they become husband and wife, and there was no great celebration around that. So you have common law marriage where there's no wedding. But does that feel quite right to you? Does that feel quite right? It may be a marriage, and yet something really important is lacking there. Marriage is about more than two people. It's about a community, and the community affirms it and embraces it and comes around the couple, and promises are made in the community before God. It's a sacred thing to be joined in husband and wife. So if I'm talking to a couple, I'm going to say, no, look, you, you need to get married, and you need to get married the old-fashioned way. Let's have a wedding. They say, well, we can't afford the wedding. No problem. I've done this before. No problem. We'll have a Sunday school class, get some food together, and we'll just have that wedding right on Sunday morning. In fact, in this very church, there's at least one marriage I know of that, that took place during the Sunday school hour. Seriously, in the Sunday school class, they had the wedding. 
because it's about the community and it's about family and it's about the promise to God and it's, it's public and, and all of that. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No, but you really should understand the close connection. And, and to be saved is to enter into the body of Christ. And when we're baptized, we're brought into the body of Christ. And so it's very, very important. Now, you might wonder, why is it that we immerse people in water when we baptize them? So here we've got a tank, and this isn't our new way of doing it. We're still going to use the baptistry, but for the youth this morning, we're using this one. And they're going to be immersed in that water. Why is that so? Well, for one thing, the word baptism in Greek is baptizo, and the verb means to immerse or to dip. There's really no controversy about that. That's the ordinary meaning of the term. And when it is used in the New Testament, it's quite clear that the first early church always immersed people in water when they were baptized. That's not even controversial. Just every scholar I know of would concede that was the practice in the New Testament. But there's more than just the word and the practice in the New Testament. There's also the teaching in the New Testament about what baptism is. And I want to read to you from Romans chapter 6. Paul, Paul thinks of salvation as when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God unites us with Christ, and then what happened to Jesus happened to us. So we're united with Christ and we die with him, the old person's gone, and we rise with him. This is a deeply spiritual experience that comes the minute we put our faith in Jesus. But in order to explain that, Paul uses this image of baptism. So let me read it to you. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So as Paul sees it, salvation involves dying with Christ. The old person is gone and arising to a new kind of life. And that fits baptism because baptism by immersion is like being buried in a watery grave and then raised up. That's why we'll say, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. See, it's a brand new life now. And so someone who's been baptized is committed to following Christ. The old way, that's the past. The new way, that's where we're going. So that's why we immerse in water. Now, I know some churches do not immerse in water. They sprinkle or they pour water on the person. Now, if we've got any church historians here, just forgive me in advance for oversimplifying. But the reason that came about was because down through the centuries, water wasn't always available for immersing people. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to baptize? Well, they would pour water at first. Sometimes they would sprinkle. And it so happened that if you go to the Old Testament, you find passages in the prophets that speak of the salvation God's going to bring. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel talks about how God's going to give us a new heart. He's going to put his spirit in us. 
He is going to redeem us by inclining us to obey his word. And in that same passage, God says, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. And so as people began to sprinkle, they would find passages like that and they would say, well, you know, that makes sense. I mean, God's sprinkling us with clean water. Now, that's not really how it was practiced in the New Testament, but you can see how it originated. And sometimes Baptists get a little bit, little bit snippy about that. Well, you really ought to do it exactly as the Bible says it. Well, that may be true, but, you know, I want you to think about this. The Bible also talks about the Lord's Supper. We eat from one loaf and we drink from one cup. Think about that. Worked great in small communities in the first century, especially those who weren't germphobes. Now, think about that. Do we observe the Lord's Supper just that way? No, we actually deviate for what we think are good reasons, and we believe that we're able to uphold the essential meaning of the Lord's Supper by understanding the truth to which it points. And so churches that sprinkle all accept immersion as legitimate. And we as Baptists may not practice it that way, but we need to understand the churches that are sprinkling are doing so out of real Christian conviction, and we don't need to get arrogant about it, okay? So what is required of the person who is seeking baptism? And essentially, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures I'd like to go through. I'd like to run through the entire book of Acts, and you could do this on your own. Read, stop laughing. I'd, I'd like to go through the entire book of Acts, and you can do this on your own. Read every passage that speaks of baptism, and there you're going to find that essentially the one requirement is saving faith, real faith. You might want to say repentance and faith, yes, but remember, repentance is turning away from my old life to God. So the turning to God is faith, the turning away is repentance. We're talking about two sides of the same coin. I can't have real repentance without faith, and I can't have real faith without repentance. So if you want to say repentant faith and say that's more technically right, good. But Essentially, it requires faith. That's why we practice what's called believer's baptism. That is, we want to make sure someone understands the gospel and believes it before they're baptized. That's why we, we wait with children. Some of you parents, sometimes you're a little unsure. How long do I wait with my child? Well, there's no rule but we want to make sure the child understands what salvation is, and we want to make sure they understand that baptism is not salvation. Sometimes it's hard for children to understand that. They, they tend to think in very concrete ways. So we wait. Now, again, some churches don't wait. They baptize infants, and there's been a long feud between those who practice believer's baptism and those who practice infant baptism. Now, if I believed that infant baptism was taught in the New Testament, I wouldn't be a Baptist. So I don't. 
But once again, we need to show a little humility and a little charity on this. No church that practices infant baptism thinks faith is unimportant. What they do is they baptize the infant of Christian parents. And the presumption is those children will be raised in the faith. And then when they reach the age when we're baptizing people, they have confirmation. Now, I don't think that's quite the New Testament pattern, but I can appreciate what's being done and disagree with it without being disagreeable or, or thinking that someone's being sub-Christian. What's interesting is at the time that they're baptizing babies, we're dedicating babies. At the time that they're doing confirmation, we tend to be baptizing. And so there's a joint sense that the birth It's a very important time to commit a child to the Lord, but it's also important for that child to grow into their faith and to affirm it themselves. But at any rate, our understanding following the New Testament is that every time someone is baptized, it's only after they've come to faith. And the thing I think is so important there is that by focusing in that way, we, we, we make sure we don't have a church filled of people who had water sprinkled on them as an infant, but who don't actually believe, okay? So I do think it is important, but as I say, you know, people have to see things differently. I've got friends who, who accuse me of being involved in dry baptisms every time we have a baby dedication, And so the debate continues. So those are some of the things I wanted to say about baptism. I want to conclude with just this very important word, circling back to what Peter said when he called on everyone to be baptized. I want to read to you his words again in verse 39. After he said, you can receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the past is wiped away and a new life is opened up, he says this, the promise is for you, he's talking about all his listeners in that moment, and your children, and for all who are far off. Maybe he means Gentiles, I don't know. He could mean sinners of every variety, but you may feel far off, terribly far from God. This promise of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit is for even those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God is calling right now through me. As I just speak these words that Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world, that is God's good news And the invitation to you is to receive that good news, to believe it, to pronounce your your commitment to Christ, to, to declare your allegiance to Christ, and then follow him in baptism. My prayer is that out of the testimony of the 43 youth who are going to be baptized in a few minutes, that there will be some sitting here this morning or perhaps some who are watching online who will themselves put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved and then baptized. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you 
for the work you have done in our lives. We thank you that we are saved in Jesus Christ. And it's our joy, Lord, to confess that faith through baptism. In Jesus' name, amen.